Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. We've got a lot of things going on here at the church, and we're excited about how God's moving and what He is doing, and certainly in the midst of a season uh, where we're leading up to this anticipation of, of the coming of Jesus, it can be easy sometimes to begin to look ahead. If you've been to a store lately, they're probably already playing Christmas music. There's probably already Christmas things all over the place, but there's a holiday coming up between Christmas uh, and the moment we're in now called Thanksgiving. And it's not just a national holiday. In fact, Thanksgiving is far greater than that. Thanksgiving is an opportunity for us to be thankful for things we have, but to be thankful for the one who gives them, the one that we serve, the one that we love, the God that has provided all that we have. And so as we continue in this series, we're in part two of this three-part series, we look directly and specifically at the way that God provides, the way that God gives. And when we look at what it means to love God wholly, we realize that God has already loved us wholly by giving us his all, giving us himself in the person and the life and the death and the resurrection of himself through Jesus Christ. Several years ago, actually a lot of years ago, I was in high school and I um, was, I played soccer in high school when I was um, in 10th grade and uh, we were, we, we were receiving our second coach uh, that year, third coach since I'd been in high school for soccer. There'd been quite a bit of turnover. And this new coach that came in was an interesting person. He was uh, very outgoing. He was uh, very, um, very intense with the sport, but he was also very intense about us learning about the game and growing in our relationships. He wanted us to know each other, he wanted us to be a team, and he wanted us to grow as individuals, not just in the sport, but uh, to be better people, to be better young men as a result of playing. And as the rest of the year went on, we learned more about him and learned more about the game and more about his, his philosophy for how we were to play and how we were to live. And then as the next year came, we actually learned more and more. But the other thing was we started to get a little bit better because the prior year we didn't win much. This year we were about a 500 team. And then finally my senior year, we did something that no team from my high school had ever done before. We won an actual playoff game, which doesn't seem like a lot, but to us that was a big deal. And I can remember specifically the coach getting down in all of our faces and talking to us specifically before that playoff game and saying words of affirmation and words of encouragement and words of challenges in each one of our faces. It was one of those, and perhaps you've been there before, one of those intense in-your-face discussions. And this discussion may be different from others because it was a one-way conversation. It was a, we sit, and, or we kneel, or whatever it was, take a knee, and he comes along, and he speaks to each one of us, and we absorb the information. And that information didn't just come in one ear and out the other. Instead, it was something that caused us to step forward and be changed, be different, because of the response we had to the information that we gathered. It wasn't several months later that I received another in-your-face conversation that pertained to this coach, but it was much different than it was initially. Because when he shared it with us, there was intensity and there was this, this sense of, of, of moving together, growing together. And the, the information that I received was from another loved one, another friend that came and got before me and said, look, I want you to know this. I don't want you to hear it from anybody else, but your coach, he passed away. 
and it was untimely, and it was not something that we expected, but this in-your-face discussion was one that was extremely interesting because the way that it came to me was one where myself and all of the other players on the team, we recognized, we remembered the legacy that he lived and the things that he said, and we literally, and I still today, from many of the things that he said, live differently, live better, live encouraged, live challenged because of the things that I learned because of the things that were said, because of the in-your-face conversation, particularly the one that's kind of burned in my memory before that last game. As we look today at what it means to love God holy, and specifically to love God holy with all of our soul, I want to look specifically at and delve directly into a passage that highlights and facilitates Jesus' in-your-face conversation with Peter. Jesus is asking Peter, specifically in the passage we're going to look at today, do you love me? I don't know if you've ever thought this before, but God has asked this question of each of us, do you love me? Today we continue our series by looking at this practice, this going all in ask, this going all in challenge, this going all in encouragement. Once again, it comes from Deuteronomy 6, 5 originally, and the original audience would have heard it like this, and thou shalt, well, in their own language, but they would have heard it like this, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And this series highlights with all your heart last week, with all your soul this week, with all your might or next week. And the series point is this, and the encouragement and the challenge is to love God holy. If you're following along, that is the first point, and that is the pivotal rock, the, the cornerstone to which we stand on. God calls us to love him holy. And the passage we look at today is interesting because God is calling Peter to love him holy. He's calling him, he's reinstating him into this place to love him in a way that's different than he's ever experienced before. Leading up to this passage, we recognize that Jesus has already died. Jesus has died. He died on on the cross. He's already lived out the prophecy that he had been spelling out, expressing to them. He died and he had risen from the dead. And it was now at this time that he was appearing to people. And particularly in the case that we're going to read about in a moment, he was appearing to his apostles, those that lived with him for the last three years of his life. Interesting enough, right before this, that they had experienced together this miraculous catch. All of the apostles that he was talking to were out fishing and out doing the things that they had done before. And Jesus comes along and realizes that they aren't doing very well and tells them, hey, why don't you throw on the other side? And they get this miraculous catch of fish. And he's calling them to do something that's far greater than than they could ever imagine and they experience. And here in this moment, as they're obedient, they experience this abundance, this new catch of fish. And then we get to this pesky episode of Peter getting back to the the realization that not just a, a few days earlier, he had literally denied the one who stands before him, the one who had given him every, every purpose, all the purpose in his life, everything he could ever imagine, the one that, that he had, had said, I will never leave you, the one that he was willing to fight for and literally die for when he held the sword, and the one that he said to a little girl in the courtyard, I don't know who you're talking about, when asked if he was a follower of Jesus. See, Jesus knew that Peter had betrayed him, that he had turned his back on him three times in his greatest time of need. So why don't we see how it goes? We're going to read from John chapter 21, and it's just going to be a few short 
verses, 15 through 19. But keep in mind specifically here this conversation of asking things, getting that in-your-face conversation as a response to failure in the midst of the creator of the world, if you can put yourself in that place. Verse 15, it reads like this. If you've got your scripture on you, or you can read on the screen as well. When they have finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Just told you a second ago. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were hungry, you dressed yourself. Or when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went, and went, and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your, arm, your hands and someone will, else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. It's an interesting passage. And before we kind of look at some of the takeaways in it, I want to look at some observations specifically from this passage that help to bring some focus and clarity to what Jesus was doing here and how we are to understand his relationship with Peter, in essence, his relationship with the universal reader. The first thing is this, Jesus' subsequent requests and commands after Peter responds to each one went like this. First, there was a stair step that went like this, feed my lambs. So initially, feed those who don't know much, those new uh, believers, those new people that, were, that belong to the way. And then after a second question, it was care for my sheep. It was this, okay, so once they begin to grow, they're going to need care, they're going to need encouragement. And then finally, feed my sheep, continue to give them something beyond simple milk, something greater, some meat in their lives. And what Jesus is saying right now is, Peter, look, I've got greater plans than you understand. I've got greater plans that are much deeper and far beyond what you can experience and what you know. Forget about the past. Forget about these mistakes. Reflect upon this day. That's great. But now express your love for me and now let's go. Let's do this. Let's move forward. Another thing to, to experience or another thing to, to, uh, to look at and observe here is, the, is the, the nature of the words that were used in the original text. I've said this last week, and, and you've probably heard this before, uh, about the, the, uh, the limitations of the word love in the English language. In fact, we use the word love or we read the word love in Scripture. In many cases, it doesn't necessarily have the same word, and a lot of times it doesn't have the same word that even our culture would define as love. 
But here we see specifically three times Jesus asks Peter if he loves him, and then three responses, subsequent responses for each one. The first two times that Jesus talks to Peter and says, do you love me? He asks him, do you love me with an agape love, a love that is much deeper, a love that is all in, a love that, is, that embraces a, a following, a, a, a lordship, a, a love that says, I put your needs before my own. And the interesting thing is the answer both times for Peter was with a phileo love, a brotherly love. Yes, of course I love you. Of course, I, I, I followed you. I'm here. I, I've shown up. I'm, I'm, I'm here with you. And so finally, the third time, Jesus, when he expresses this question of love, he comes back with a phileo love, a brotherly love, and says, do you love me? And then Peter, because he's answered twice with his own mind, his own agenda, his own understanding in this specific way, he's hurt. He can't figure out why Jesus would ask him this specific thing that he's already told him twice he believes. And Jesus' response specifically as we get to the final part of follow me is this reflection upon, hey, it's not just about us being brothers and loving each other. It's about this submission to will, the submission of soul, this recognition of eternal impact that we are to live out through and because of the love that we have in Jesus. Love refers to a, a spontaneous, not a, a spontaneous natural affection or fondness but, and, and emotion, but this prominent role that the will is submitted towards and under the God who cares for and the God who loves. It's also interesting to note that there's three questions that match three denials, right? Jesus asks Peter three times if he loves him, and at the same time, you can, you can you go back in your scripture, you can read that Peter was asked three times if he knew Jesus when Jesus was getting, when he was getting ready to stand trial, and each time he said no. And it's as if Jesus is giving Peter the opportunity to withdraw and to step back and say, you know what? No, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I don't hold that. Instead, God, you are number one. And then finally, this is maybe the most profound as I'm reading through this. I recognize, okay, so it says, and I'm just going to read one of these in an in, uh, example. It says in verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter. So this is John's recording of what happened. He's talking to Simon Peter. But if you read the actual quote, if you read the actual quote by Jesus, it says, Simon, son of John. He doesn't say the word Peter there at all. And there's a reason for that, because Simon is actually the birth name. That's the name that Peter has. But this, uh, this name Peter is one that, that Jesus actually gives to him. It means rock. It's the one he's going to build his church on. And so here he's saying, okay, because of the place you've positioned yourself far from me or, or in, in, uh, in separation from me because of you saying, no, you don't believe me or not subscribing to me, you've put yourself in this place of, of earthly understanding and human identity, Simon. Simon, son of John. And so with this new identity, as Jesus brings him back in, reinstates him as the passage says, he brings him in as the rock, Peter, reinstated by Christ. The recognition of this truly loved, and truly loved refers to the love in which the entire personality, especially the will, the soul, is included and embraced. So some primary lessons. I'm going to read 15 once again, and we're going to walk through this passage. Uh, some things briefly, some things we'll spend a little bit more time on. Verse 15 reads like this. When they have finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. 
The first point is this, if you're following along in your note guide, love compels action. Love compels action. Christ asks, Jesus Christ asked Peter, Simon, son of John at this point, do you love me? And it wasn't just a yes, I do. Okay, great. Let's go about our day. Instead, it was okay. Well, if you love me, there will be action. You will feed my lambs. You will step forward in this. Do you agape love me in a way that's far beyond what you would actually understand in this world? It's an in-your-face qualifier question. And you could be asking, does he love Uh, Jesus more than he loves the other guys? He could be asking, do you love Jesus more than the other guys love Jesus? Or he might have even been asking, do you love me more than the fishing tackle and this job and this life that you lived before I came along? But in essence, whatever he's asking, however he's asking it, whatever the, the, the platform he's asking it against, they all reflect upon the fact that he's asking if he loves Jesus most. And if he does, he'll drop these other relationships, this other stuff, this other things, and focus directly on God first. Peter's response is, you know that I love you. Here's the question I have for us. Would that be our answer? The question I have for us is is simply, does God know that we love him? Because in action, in in, in reflection, in, in response to that, if we love him, then we would feed his lambs. The young ones, the ones who may not know, the ones who are, who are young in their faith, the ones who in everyday life, whether it be at our job or in the classroom or with our roommates, we live a certain way that shows those that are around us through our lifestyle that we love God. Love compels action. Not too long ago, I was uh, here at the office, and when I was leaving the office, I, I left a little bit earlier than I normally do, and I, I had to run a couple of errands, and one of the errands brought me by a coffee shop, and I thought, I'm going to run in, and I'm just going to grab a coffee really quick. I don't normally do that, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to treat myself for whatever reason. I don't know what it was that day, but I, I felt like, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to get a coffee. And while I was in there, while I was in there, they, they messed up a drink. And they messed up the drink and they said, hey, would you like this drink? And I thought, yeah, I'll take that drink. That sounds good. And so I got my drink. I had this extra drink and I headed home. And when I got home, I walked in the kitchen and I was holding two drinks. And my wife was in the kitchen and she looked at me and she's like, oh, you do love me. <laughs> and I looked down at my drinks and I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I handed her the drink and it happened to be one of her favorites. And so that was a nice thing. But the interesting thing about that is in many cases in our lives, we recognize the fact that, and I do things on purpose sometimes too, just so you know. (laughs) We recognize in our lives that love compels action. You can tell someone you love them all day long, but that there's never any action that follows that up. Words become hollow. Words become something that's just uh, something we say or a routine that we have. I'm not saying don't tell your loved ones or the people that you love that you love them. You should do that. But that shouldn't be the only thing that you do. Jesus meets Peter's response with a command, a calling, an eternal calling. Feed my lambs. Food to the young in faith. Food to those who are just learning, who are just growing. Verse 16 continues, and Jesus is at it again. Again, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, not Simon Peter, but Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, take care of my sheep. 
Not thank you, not I believe you, not okay, let's hug it out. Okay, now let's have a meal together. No, instead, another command, feed my sheep. And the point is this, love births obedience. What he's saying to him in this case is that when you step forward in action, it's not just about the action, but it's also about living a life that is obedient, that reflects God in all we do and all we say, that reflects the fact that we love God. And so therefore, it is a witness to him. It is a witness to what God has done and a way that we can pour into him. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, this agape love, I love you so much and I know that you know it. Here's a question I have. How does God know? How does Jesus know that Peter loves him at that point? He told him, but how does he actually know that Peter loves him? And here he expresses once again, care for my sheep. The action of stewardship, the action of doing as God has called him to do. In Matthew's gospel, he records a a specific passage. He records a parable uh, of Jesus's. It's called the parable of the two sons. It's in in, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 21, verse 28 through 32. I'm going to read it. It reads like this. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But after he changed his mind and went, and then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. This is those that are listening to Jesus' parable. And Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. You know, Peter was struggling with a, with a measure of religious, uh, religiosity, I would say, with, a, with this, okay, if I, if I hold true to the things I'm supposed to do, if I follow all the rules, if I follow all the laws, if I even do the action God calls me to, that's great. But what Jesus is saying here is your love should also embrace a depth of obedience, a depth that is far beyond this. And while there are things in this world that you're not always going to understand or not always going to agree with or not always going to know about, you do submit to what God calls you to do. And what Christ is saying right here is, look, Peter, I know that you love me. I've heard you say it, but let me see it in your life. Let me see it through your obedience. Because love births obedience. Verse 17, the third time, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And I I don't know what the other disciples are doing right now. It doesn't really record that. I don't know if they're sitting around saying, yeah, good, get him. Yeah, good. Or maybe they're sitting there thinking, "Uh uh-oh, I might be next. Or maybe they're just sitting there thinking, Christ, we don't know exactly what you've got planned, but we definitely, definitely want to follow you in whatever you're calling us to do. Because right now, the intensity of the conversation you're having with Peter is more than we can directly bear. But as the verse continues, it says, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And there's this small little thing there that Peter says that separates this from the other two responses. He says, you know all things. 
And what I think Jesus helped him to express and to understand there was that the magnitude of the position that Jesus holds as the God of all, the creator of all, the one who brings love, unconditional love into this world. And the point is this, love recognizes eternal authority. You know, sometimes on earth, love doesn't always make sense. It doesn't always make sense because of the way that people forgive or the way that people will say yes or the way that people will be obedient to God even when they don't know exactly what God wants. But here we recognize that Peter is expressing this reality that we must see God's eternal authority. Peter was hurt. You know, he, he knew all, God knew all things and Peter recognized that. And in humility... In humility, Peter said, okay, I will express it one more time. I love you. You know that I love you. Maybe a question to that, a response to that is, how often do you pause to recognize the authority of the God who created you? How often do we take a moment to say, okay, I know that life is busy, I've got all these things going on, but let me take a moment now, even in the midst of a devotional time, which sometimes can be scripted or sometimes is something that we kind of walk through the checklist of things we have to do, but what, when do we stop or how often do we stop and acknowledge the authority of the God who created us? Because I can tell you, it is a, it's a great recalibrator. It's a great thing to recalibrate us to, to recognize that all the things of this world will pass away. All the things of this world are temporal. All the things of this world that, that cloud us from understanding God can keep us from realizing the power and the supremacy and the love of the God that created us and that we serve. How often do we get outside of the urgency of the moments and all the things that we have to do to simply just be in the presence of God and be? How often do we get out of the me first mentality, the rat race of saying, okay, I have to make sure that everybody sees me this way, or I have to do these things, or I have to get these things, I have to have this position, I have to have th this stuff so that this, that, and the other will look at me in this specific way. Can I just say the creator of all, the creator of the universe, including you and I, loves you unconditionally. And that is proven by his action first to send himself in the person of Jesus Christ to die, to give everything for you and I. And so it's not just lip service for him to say to Peter or for him to say to us, hey, I want you to be obedient and do the things that I've called you to do. Instead, he's already done it. And he did it for you and he did it for me. And the request that he has, the fact that he loves us, is he desires for us to love him unconditionally in return with all that we are. In fact, the most important and the most profound way with our soul. With the peace of us that is eternal, the peace of us that will pass beyond this world. Finally, this portion of the passage res uh, resolves with this, this climax moment. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself when you were, uh, and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. 18 highlights the, the growth of the personal walk, the spiritual walk, this, this perfect description illustrating Peter's uh, desire, the, God's desire for Peter to care for other people. And, and 19 becomes the climax of the passage. And the question, the in-your-face words, the question becomes, do you love me? 
And the threefold response is this. If you're taking notes, the threefold response looks like this. If you do love me, you must die to self. You must humbly come before God and say, okay, God, I recognize that I have denied you. Maybe not for you in the garden or, excuse me, in the courtyard when Jesus is is being uh, put on trial. Maybe that's not exactly what it looks like for you, but we have denied God. We have denied him with our lifestyle. We have denied him as sinners before we come to him. We have denied him, lived in a place of sin, separated because of the root of sin that we're all born into. So we must die to self and must give ourselves over to him. The second one is your death to self is to be spiritual glorification to God. The recognition is that when we come to God, it's not about what we can get, but it's about who we become and what we can give. God wants to make you a new creature. He wants to transform you into something new, which is what he does when you give yourself to him. And at the same time, that glorification shines more light on his goodness, more light on his love, and brings forth an opportunity for more salt and light to be provided in this world. And then finally, the action that goes along with that. And this is kind of like the cycle. I should have, should have made it more like a cycle on your page, but it's more like the cycle. When we do these things, when we go through this walk, when we go through this cycle, it becomes this, and if you can do this, you follow me. And then so doing, we become soldiers of the light for him. If you can do this, you, you then follow me. You follow Christ in the way that he has called us to do so. I mean, it's so simple. We break it down last week, the, the golden rule, right? Love God, and, and, or excuse me, not the, goal, the, the, the greatest command. Love God and love people. And here we recognize at the same time that God breaks it down so much easier for us to understand. Simply follow me, be his disciple. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And I know this is going to be kind of different than what we typically do. I'm going to ask you to pull out your smartphone if you have one, or maybe in your purse if you've got a, a, a mirror that you put makeup on. I want you to pull it out. If you have your phone, I want you to take your phone. I want you to, to pull out the camera or whatever you might use and flip it around so that it has uh, the, the, the selfie look. I want you to be able to see yourself. I know this is kind of funny, but let's do it. Just indulge me for a moment. Pull it out so that you can see yourself, so that you can look at the mirror or you can look at the screen and see yourself. And as you look at yourself in the mirror, I want you to to just visualize and maybe even in your mind, if you can audibly hear, uh, kind of a figurative audible here, Jesus asked the question, do you love me? Look at yourself in the mirror. Don't look at me. Do you love me? And I cannot answer that for you. Your neighbor cannot answer that for you that's sitting next to you. You can answer that for you. As this question was asked of Peter at the beginning, this in-your-face question, and as it was asked throughout, certainly to begin with, it was kind of like, okay, yeah, of course I love God, but now it's a little bit more loaded because there's a little bit more sacrifice or a lot of sacrifice. It's an all-in endeavor. It's something where when we recognize what it means to love God, it means that we give him all of ourselves. Do you love me? What Christ is asking in the midst of do you love me is follow me. Be my disciple. And in a church where we attempt to try to create an environment of disciples who make disciples, we define a disciple as one that accepts the love of God, loves loves him in return, and attempts to express that love to others by loving others and introducing them to the love of God that we've experienced ourselves. To love God with all your soul is deeper than one's body. 
In fact, it's not temporary, something of this earth. Instead, it's the expression of loving God wholly and answering the question, do you love me? With a resounding yes with both our words, our actions, our mind, and our soul. And so I'm going to close this in prayer. And certainly as I pray, uh, as always, if you'd like to come forward, you can pray here at the altar and someone can and will come and pray with you if you'd like that. But what I'll ask for you to do right now, if you'd like to, you can keep your eyes open, reflect in the mirror as I pray, or certainly just take a moment because I'm going to take a moment before I even begin to pray for us just to, to quiet our spirits a little bit so that we might respond. But the question is posed. And let me just say one more thing. I know that if you can get through this moment, right? And some of us are in here right now like, oh, I'll answer it later. Or, you know, I got a lot going on. Or I don't really want to answer that right now. If you can get through this moment, Satan will help you get through this moment. But allow the Spirit to speak to you right now and, and allow yourself to embrace this question from Christ. Do you love me? Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.